The very pit of my stomach knew I was approaching death as I drove closer. I was back in Indiana last summer and I was driving home. Or I was driving towards what had been my home, the farm I'd lived on with my parents when I was in high school. I'd gone back a few times since my mom died seven years ago, but I'd always come with others, and always with some practical purpose. First to collect some of her things, then later to introduce my kids to these 40 acres that had formed me. I was terrified to go back alone, but I'd had this nagging sense. I wanted to see the broken down place on my own and on my own terms. As I made my way up the curving country roads, dread began to rise up in me, tightening my throat, beginning to blur my vision. Muscle memory took over as I pulled the wheel just so to hug one bend in the road and then the next as I had done countless times. I relied on that familiarity to make it down that well-worn path to what I knew was dead and gone. I wonder why Mary comes to the tomb this first morning still in the dark. Why does she return again with Peter and the, the beloved disciple? Why does she stay when they run? Is it to grieve the absence of his body? To force herself to move from shock to recognition, maybe find some some kind of 21st century notion of closure? Is it just to track down, somehow, find his broken body and anoint it? There are so many reasons for her not to come. This woman is scorned. There's no evidence that she is a sex worker or a loose woman, but she has been denigrated as such for two millennia now. It's not safe for someone to travel alone in the dark with that shamed reputation, whether earned or not. Hell, for that matter, it's dangerous for a woman, any woman, to be out alone like that, then as now. And maybe, more than anything, the simple pain of it all 
seems like a very good reason for her to stay at home. Maybe watching the crucifixion was enough. Maybe the stench of the grave would be too much. And yet, she comes. And it is even worse than she imagined. The cave, empty. The body, gone. Sometimes we come expecting death, and it looks to be rampant. The July sun was beating down when I pulled into our long gravel driveway. No one had lived at the farm in years, and overgrown trees clawed at the truck as I drove by. As I parked and hopped down, the the sense of death, of slow destruction set in. The sweep of a long dead flower bed spread out to my left. Bags of abandoned mulch next to it broken open from years in the weather. I approached the house knowing it was a shell. Locked up, utilities shut off, empty. And even more, it was unfinished. My parents had begun a huge building project when I was in high school, but they never finished it. Peering through the windows, I saw further through the bare studs, airy, vacant. I stood on what had been the new porch and saw the floorboards curling up beneath my feet where the nails my mother had pounded had now popped, the paint mostly peeled away beside them. Slowly I plodded through a circuit of the farm, past the dock we'd built at the pond, warped and broken down, noting the the half-sunken paddle boat there in the muck, catching my skin on the brambles that now overwhelmed the shore, I, I spitefully snatched blackberries as I walked past. Through the barns, musty and battered, their contents now just trash. Up along the fence, I'd worked so hard to dig post holes for. The few wires that remained now hanging loose. The place had fallen apart every bit as much as I had expected. And just like my family, I thought. I made my way wearily back to the locked shell of a house, sat down on a splintered rocking chair in the shade of the porch, and I closed my eyes. I had assumed that I 
would find silence, since everything I'd just seen was broken and empty. But there in the shade, little by little, I came to register song. It confused me. I opened my eyes, slowly asking them to focus, and there, just out above what had been my mom's garden, some birds flitted about, chasing each other. A swarm of them took flight from a scraggly apple tree, swooping down as if they were one being, alighting then on a young tree, a a new one growing out of the side of the barn we had built. Looking then down at my hands, I, I saw they were stained from the blackberries. I realized my tongue was still sweet from their juice. Tracing the contours of the hillside with my eyes, I recognized for the first time that it was in full bloom. Queen Anne's lace and and purple asters and all kinds of weeds. So many blooming weeds. I'd come to this old farm for closure, to, to put this broken down home of my past to bed one last time. But I found that it was totally alive unpredictably, not asked for or planned for or helped along by any of us. It just was. Dead as I thought it to be, this life could not be stopped. Mary's witness is this field of weeds. Mary's witness is this tree growing out of a dilapidated barn. It is these unchecked brambles bearing massive, sweet blackberries. Mary's witness is unwanted, untrusted, overlooked by the whole system. Whether it's that the other disciples are jealous of her closeness with Jesus or because they've believed the rumors of her reputation, Mary is a walking scandal. What's what's more, as a woman, her testimony is useless. In order for her words to have legal standing, they would have to be verified by a man. And the risen Christ is right there. In the most unlikely place, to the most questionable person. He doesn't come in the way an institution might choose to be taken seriously or garner more standing. No self-respecting religious leader would have planned this unpredictable scandal of a revelation. And yet... This is where and how God shows up. Unexpected, maybe unbidden, and to those we least 
imagine. In blooming weeds, to the scorned who remain brave. This is where God has always come, to barren elders and to unwed teen mothers and to those outcasts the powerful dismiss with a whisper about questionable morals. God shows up to the weary ones, to the people who come looking only for death. And Mary is there, ready to receive God once again, coming through the dark, remaining by the cold cave. She doesn't recognize Jesus at at first, looking like a dirty gardener as he does, but she hears him. She perceives him with her whole being, and she understands. This resurrection somehow changes everything, even while it doesn't erase the pain that has been. This paradox is where I found myself as I eventually left the porch and the birds and the blooming weeds to drive back home. The revelation of the living and overgrown farm did not repair my house. It did not reconcile my family. It did not bring back my mom. Resurrection doesn't fix what was once painful, somehow undoing it. Christ is both crucified and risen. The pain is there, the wounds are there, and yet we see this new life in ways we could not have imagined and maybe still can't comprehend. But seeing that That broken place was just as it was now. Seeing what it is now, this set me free. Driving back to town, I I could finally breathe. I felt like I was swimming in the ease of grace, as if someone had finally unlocked these weights I'd been dragging from my ankles for years. This place was not just dead, as I kept repeating to myself. It was beautiful and alive. New life doesn't come as we would plan it. It does not happen by our design. It does not arrive on our schedule It does not unfold in the tidy and pleasant way we might hope. It comes shocking us, catching us off guard, emerging from the the places and the people we least expect. And herein lies the invitation of Easter. We are called to practice coming back and being present, taking it all in, 
even in the dark, even as the pain remains, even when we're furious with the death around us, we come back and we open ourselves up. If we can't see, then we listen. We feel our way along in the dark. We come to this place in our bodies. We return and we reach to be present with our whole selves. Because here, right here in the most unlikely places, with the most suspect of unlikely characters, God shows 